I want to welcome any visitors here and I want to welcome those listening online. My name is Russell Atkins. I'm going to be teaching today. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for giving us another day of life uh, and another day in seven to stop and contemplate um, your sovereignty and your um, power and love as a benevolent creator. I want to ask that you continue blessings on this class, both individually and collectively. I ask that you be with our group uh, that are not with us. Uh, please, please bring them back safely in the weeks ahead. Please guide Tim this weekend as he is speaking to um, folks in Maryland uh, that may or may not uh, have the same concepts of you that we do. Uh, please send your Holy Spirit to uh, quicken their hearts and open their minds. Uh, and we ask that you bring us safely back in the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Title of our lesson number 12 today is Nature as a Source of Health. In our quarterly, Jesus Wept, the Bible and Human Emotions. Memory text for Sabbath lesson is taken from Psalms 19, verse 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth, they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. Um, to start off, any, are there any thoughts on this uh, memory text? The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Anyone ever been camping? <laughs> Laying out in the middle of the night where there's no light interference from city lights and things like that. Or, have you ever been to Montana or... Utah, somewhere out west where there's not as much light interference, and you stare up in the sky and think, wow, there's hundreds of them. <laughs> I'm kidding, there are thousands. <laughs> yes, Nadine. When I was out um, teaching some classes out in uh, Arizona, we stopped uh, one evening, and it was pitch black. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys that was with us at that time was kind of an astronomer buff, and we could see, he was telling us all the stars. And it was so neat, because you could see many, many more, because there were no lights at all. Right, right. Um, Any other thoughts on how the heavens declare the glory of God? Just look at a sunrise or sunset, sunset, uh, she said. That's correct. Um... Anyone ever see a green flash? No. At sunset? Yeah. Uh, it's a rare occurrence. There's supposedly one at sunrise as well, which is even more rare. Uh, I've seen the sunset one twice. I've never seen a sunrise one. Um, has <clears throat> has this been hijacked? Has this has this text? Can someone stare at the skies and not see the glory of God? Yes. How? By not even thinking about God. Just, if they don't accept God and don't believe he created it, then it doesn't speak to them. Have the skies become a God in and of themselves? Uh, is there an entire system of, of worship, an entire religion that is based on worshiping the heavenly bodies and... <laughs> The way they move and et cetera, et cetera. How does that happen? 
the more pollutants in the air, the brighter the, the sunrise and the sunset. You have a, a volcano blowing up ash, and it will affect sunrises and sunsets for miles and, and days and weeks and sometimes longer. Months, right. I remember when Mount, Mount Pinatubo uh, in the Philippines um, exploded. Uh, we had magnificent sunsets on the West Coast for months uh, after that. Fire is the same thing. We have these enormous fires mm-hmm. that uh, destroy our, our woodlands and so on. And right. It, it affects the atmosphere. Correct. Um, how can how, how things become so sidetracked? I mean, when Adam and Eve stared up at the stars, do you think they... You think they saw bulls and and people holding scales and fishes, and they thought these are our gods. We we must worship them. Well, what is it that changed in man's thinking? Well, what 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 happened? Well, what what got things so far off track? When they when they lost their robe of righteousness, their their light, the light that was. It was more than just a covering for them. That represented God's spirit with them. And when they lost that, they could no longer discern the glories as they had before in the, in nature. Hmm. Interesting. And that when Christ came, he restored that light because he was light and he restored that. So okay. through him can we really read nature correctly. Excellent. Uh, that's a great point and a nice segue uh, to where I want to begin here. <clears throat> um, I'm going to read some passages from Patriarchs and Prophets. And on a day like today, when it's less likely that we're going to get out and commune in the book of nature, uh, I would encourage you, if you have Patriarchs and Prophets at home, read the first two chapters. They, there's an astonishing amount of information and a wealth of information in the first two chapters of Patriarchs and Prophets. If you don't have it at home, look at it online. It's available free. You can access it in the LNGY database. Read it on your computer screen. This is from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 33. Every manifestation of creative power is an expression of infinite love. The sovereignty of God involves fullness of blessing to all created beings. Think about that. When... Have we ever have we ever heard the argument made that well yes God is loving but he's also has to be sovereign and just okay like like those two like those two ideas are mutually exclusive okay this says right here the sovereignty of God involves a fullness of blessing to all created beings God's sovereignty is giving of himself for the for the uplifting and the blessing of what he's made, uh, how can it be any more clear? This is from Patriarchs and Prophets, page forty-eight. God saw that a Sabbath was essential for man, even in paradise. He needed to lay aside his own interests and pursue for one day of seven that he might more fully contemplate the works of God and meditate upon His power and goodness. He needed a Sabbath to remind him more vividly of God and to awaken gratitude because all that he enjoyed and possessed came from the beneficent hand of the Creator. God designs that the Sabbath shall direct the minds of men to the contemplation of his created works. 
Nature speaks to their senses, declaring that there is a living God, the Creator, supreme ruler of all. Quote, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. This is our memory text we just read. The beauty that clothes the earth is a token of God's love. We may behold it in the everlasting hills, and the lofty trees, and the opening buds, and the delicate flowers. All speaks to us of God. The Sabbath, ever pointing to him that made them all, bids men open the great book of nature, and trace therein the wisdom, power, and love of the Creator. Thoughts on that passage? Okay. I. Is this what we characteristically present uh, our Sabbath as a. Um, is this characteristically how we, how we present our Sabbath? No. How, how, do we, how do we often present it? It's just we're commanded to. Not do anything, so that's what we need to do. Okay. <laughs> we're no more. I, I like that. That's very succinct, and that's a great distillation of of what um, sometimes we hear. God commanded us not to do anything, so we shouldn't do it. So what do we do on Sabbath? We eat a big lunch and we take a four hour nap, <laughs> and bless our hearts. <laughs> It's also presented as an arbitrary test of obedience. God said it, therefore he is sovereign, we better do it, or else we will incur his wrath. Dean, you had a comment? I heard implied in that passage that we're to contemplate on God's love as revealed in his creation. Mm -hmm. And I I think it's also said elsewhere that God told Adam and Eve about the controversy, the, the war in heaven and to watch out for Satan. And so I think implied in there is that discover me on the Sabbath, take time to look at this controversy mm-hmm. and make up your own mind. Right, excellent. Yeah, and that's that's one of the, um, I think that's one of the great uh, additions to my understanding of the Sabbath that this class has contributed to, that the Sabbath is first and foremost a complete and succinct revelation of God's character in that he would, spend six days uh, displaying power and creative power and then step back on the seventh say universe i've presented my evidence you take 24 hours to decide for yourselves there will be no coercive power there will be no threat of retribution you you choose for yourselves yes Uh, this uh, gentleman martin dobelmeyer that made the film on the adventists have you seen that Uh, i'm not familiar um, he, it's been shown on public television, but he was interviewed the other evening, and uh, he was asked, he was ma- mostly looking at the health message and, and mm-hmm. how it has contributed to our lifestyle and longer living and so forth. He was asked what one thing impressed him most about the Adventists, and he said, your Sabbath, that you actually take one day and just, that's, for most people anyway, that's family time. Mm-hmm. You go to church, you have family time, you uh, you do things that you just don't do on other days, and you don't do on the Sabbath the things that you do on other days. You lay it all aside. And he says, I really feel that that, having that period of time 
where you concentrate on God and family and nature and things like that has a lot to do with your happiness, your long life. And uh, he says, it really made an impression on me and made me think Hmm. about how I keep, he's a a Catholic, he says, it made me uh, think long and hard about how do I keep my Sabbath. Interesting. What do I do on my Sabbath? Uh, but very uh, thank you. That's a great point. Um, let's ask ourselves, though, that uh, are our Adventists the only people on the planet that keep the Sabbath? In fact, there's a, there is a group of people that uh, are quite a bit more rigorous in, quote, keeping the Sabbath. Correct. The, the Jewish faith. Um, when I go to when I go to sur- when I go to Costa Rica to go surfing, there's a large uh, community of Israeli expatriates that have that have uh, settled in this little town of Costa Rica. They've even built their own synagogue, uh, and they're very very devout. They they won't they won't walk uh, they won't walk with uh, leather shoes. They won't start their car. They won't turn on a light. Um, all sorts of uh, interesting uh, and, to my mind, uh, somewhat bizarre ways of of keeping the Sabbath, as as their understanding of the of keeping the Sabbath is. Um, so we can see very clearly that there there is a there is a way to quote keep the Sabbath that uh, is can not only not be beneficial but can even be destructive. Right, I mean, well, we only have to look back to Christ's day to see that—that that they wanted to murder the Lord of the Sabbath and get him down off the cross before the sunset, so that they could go, uh, so they go home, go home. Do they have a gate on their little co- village? Well, they're they're not in they're not in a, a kibbutz, a commune. Okay. Uh, they they just kind of live interspersed throughout the uh, throughout the town, yeah, but. Well, uh, when I was in Israel, we stayed at uh, not a kibbutz, but a, a moshevim, mm-hmm. moshev. And um, on Sabbath, they would actually they literally had a gate that would bar the road going in, and that they would close the gate so nobody could go in or out. or out. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. One more. One more quote from Patriarchs and Provinces from page fifty. They, uh, referencing Adam and Eve, held converse with leaf, flower, and tree. Have you ever thought about how holding a conversation with a, a flower or a tree? I thought it was bad enough when I talked to the dog. Right, exactly. <laughs> and when they talk back to you. So uh, I, I wonder if this is just her, her way of, of explaining that they learned from the plants and and things, or whether they really, whether they really had the intelligence and the the capability of holding a conversation with plants. Think about that. And if that is the case, think how far we have sunk in our sinful uh, hearts and minds in the six thousand years since. Yes. Um, kind of, I think there was a passage before that where it had our memory text in it. Um, mm-hmm. I noticed at the very end it says, uh, day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they display knowledge. I think knowledge is a key word there um, because it kind of parallels with John seventeen three, where it says, and this is eternal life, to know the only true God. Um, there's a knowledge that we can find out by looking at them that we are to have when we know Christ. Excellent point. 
We have to be careful, though. The knowledge itself can become a god. The pursuit of knowledge uh, itself uh, has become a god to many. To me, it's almost like, you know, it's a, it's a book, kind of like the Bible is in itself. You can learn similarly. Absolutely. Uh, they held converse with leaf and flower and tree, gathering from each the secrets of its life. With every living creature, from the mighty Leviathan that playeth among the waters to the insect mode that floats in the sunbeam, Adam was familiar. He had given to each his name, and he was acquainted with the nature and habits of all. God's glory in the heavens, the innumerable worlds in their orderly revolutions, the, quote, balancing of the clouds, the mysteries of light and sound of day and night were all open to the study of our first parents. On every leaf of the forest or stone of the mountains, in every shining star, in earth and in air and sky, God's name is written. The order and harmony of creation spoke to them of infinite wisdom and power. They were ever discovering some attraction that filled their hearts with deeper love and called forth fresh expressions of gratitude. So, Sunday. Sunday's lesson, the perfect environment. Hey, have you guys ever pondered what this earth looked like before sin entered it. She says we can't imagine it. Uh, I have a difficult time imagining it. Um, death and decay seem such a part of our life that, that it's, it's tempting to believe that that's just the way things have been. Always and always will be. Um What um, we we in this class uh, understand some of the things uh, about nature that we can see even today, even with the the marring of sin. Um, some of the cycles that exist in nature, like the water cycle, the rock cycle. Do you guys know there's a rock cycle where rock is is cycled from volcanic magma all the way up to the rocks you pave your driveway with, and they deteriorate, go back to back to liquid magma. Um, you know, other cycles, circulation, respiration, those cycles. Uh, are there any cycles that we know of today that either didn't exist before sin or that have been radically altered since sin entered the earth? Can you think of any? The death and decay and then reworking of the planet. Excellent. The carbon cycle. Correct. Um Based on some of the stuff I found online, um, I have to wonder if the carbon cycle didn't exist. Or if it did exist, it's been radically altered since the entering of sin. Because while, while there was still breathing and an exchange of carbon dioxide and oxygen between the plants and, and living um, plants and animals... There was no bacterial decay. There was no death. There was no, there was no changing of, of dead carbon and, and, and then re, reforming it into to life. Why was there a need for it? Correct. Exactly. There, there, there was no need for it. What about our digestive system? That's, that okay. Good? Excellent question. What about our digestive system, she says? Um You think the Garden of Eden had its own sewer? <laughs> I think the food was so pure that we probably did not have anything left over for waste. I think that's a reasonable, reasonable uh, conclusion. 
Did anyone hear, everyone hear what she said? She thinks the food was so pure that there, and our bodies were so efficient that there was no, there were no waste products. It, it used everything that was eaten. I, I wonder about the cycle of the seasons: spring, summer, fall, winter. Okay. Never a fall winter type of. Uh, there, there are some references uh, I think in Ellen White that indicates that the the seasonal adjustment started occurring more after the flood. Tim? Well, just uh, back to the digestive thing, begs the question, were we born to do a number two or created to do a number two, or did we adapt? I, I've wondered that myself. <laughs> the, uh, the, are there, there are certain parts of our bodies now that we take for granted that they're used uh, in certain manners that, who knows, Adam and Eve may not have used them that way yeah, or may not have even had them. If we were created in the image of God... Did he have the foresight to know that because of sin he needed to create us that way? Or, I mean, I've wondered that a lot. Good question. Uh, I mean, what's the, what's gonna be, I mean, I know that our intestines and all that play a different role than just evacuation and everything. But still, when we get to heaven, what's going to happen? Um, once again, we're going to be perfect. The food's going to be perfect. But you have to wonder that. I, absolutely, I do. And being created in the image of God is a, a very, very... Big statement. We're going to get, we're going to delve a little deeper into that here in a minute. And then the back. I think it speaks to to God's wisdom and forethought that when He created the earth, He undoubtedly created the creatures we see now, but who did not need to use all their abilities in Eden. But when sin occurred, they were also made to function outside of Eden. Suddenly, certain animals would be attracted to dying things and want to eat them where maybe before that that feature of their nature was not really needed, but he planned ahead that we and they could survive with and without sin. Yes, sir. Um, I think the statement you're referring to, there's no waste or something to that, something to that effect, and I believe that, I tend to think that it's much like uh, farm animal, animals, that uh, there is no waste there. I have donkeys. And the donkeys produce fertilizer. Mm -hmm. It is not waste. I'm just wondering if, in a similar sense, that we won't have to be concerned about it being uh, dangerous or or sinful in a wasteful manner that we think of today. That it would be much more useful uh, immediately for the plants that we've been eating from. Another another great thought. That's something I hadn't considered. That's that's certainly. That sounds reasonable to me. Yeah, there could have been bacteria. They just weren't. They were all good bacteria, you know. Right. No smelly stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the earth before sin. Let's look at Genesis 1. Start in verse 27. If you've got your Bibles open with me, please. And we're going to talk about being created in God's image. Genesis one twenty seven. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Have you ever thought of, for those misogynists in here, have you ever thought of the female being created in God's image? I was ask, I was asking mainly the men in the class, but uh, but that's okay, that's all right. 
you were asking misogynist. I'm not sure if I want to respond. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was including myself in that because I've been guilty of guilty of um, of the thought process that well, man was creating God's image, but a woman was creating man's image. Thankfully not. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Oh, yes, sir. I think when when you talk about women being created in God's image, women always carry the attributes of nurturing and loving, and I think that's the parts that speak uh, to God. Mm, well said. Yes, absolutely. Many references in the throughout the Bible referring to female characteristics of God. Mm. Uh, I agree, Ron. I like my translation for that verse. R- read it, please. What, what translation is it? And then read it, please. Well, it's the contemporary English version. Okay. And it says, So God created humans to be like himself. He made men and women. He gave them his blessing and said, and it goes on, talks about it. Mm-hmm. He said, like himself. What does that mean? What does it mean to be created in the image of God? Does it mean that we walk upright? Does it mean we have two arms and, and legs and a nose and two eyes and two ears and a mouth? Is that what God looks like? Physical attributes is talking about. You don't think it's the physical attributes he's talking about? Okay, well then, what is it? I'm thinking about the, the ability to think and to reason. That is that is huge, and the rest of the animal creation doesn't really have that. That's okay, that's that's one of the things that distinguishes us from from the rest of the planets, uh, the rest of the inhabitants of the Earth. But angels have the angels have the ability to think and reason, and you know, as our understanding of intelligent beings in other worlds, they also have the, the ability to think and reason. Uh, is there something different about humans that um, is different about the angels? Let's say. Well, you know, when Jesus came to earth and he met the blind man, I always wondered, why did he bend down, make mud, stick the mud on his eyes when he basically told everybody else, you know, you're, you're healed, do this or that. And then I realized what he was doing was a miniature creation. He was not only recreating the sight of him, but also the mind, the part of his mind that would see since he was born blind and he wouldn't have that part anymore. He was putting his DNA in with the dirt and recreating through that act, he was doing a little miniature recreation uh, example. So I think when God bent down, made us of dirt, he also mixed his DNA with us. And then, therefore, I believe we really are, in, to some degree, in the image of God. Okay. Tina, you had a comment about I something? Said, well, what we can do that angels can is we can procreate. Angel okay. Angel. Okay, good. Now we're getting somewhere. We can... We can reproduce in our own image. Okay, so the ability to create life, to bring forth new life, is a very, very godlike characteristic. Um, am I? But they don't think. They don't have the ability to think and stuff. I used to think so, but you, you start training a dog, you notice that this dog does more at times than respond to stimuli. There's this thought process that go through how we got it, I don't know. 
but I, I'm not sure that a dog can can reason and judgment. I don't think a dog can reason and think right from wrong. Or I think they do it out of instinct, out of training, and stuff like that. I don't think. Or out of a fear of punishment, right. or out of hope for reward. I don't for one minute think that they can reason out. Okay, so so other other beings on Earth can reproduce in their own image. Um, I think it's. You know, very important when we see that male female create an image of God, and then later on we see God say that He wants them to come from flesh. Um, and then we also see, you know, Jesus and His Father saying, "I am," you know, He's one with His Father, and the Father's in Him, and He is in the Father. Mm-hmm. It's the, you know, it's it's an early illustration of what the Godhead is like, um, characteristic-wise. Okay, good. What other what other godlike characteristic was humanity given? Um, this is kind of a stretch, maybe. I, but you know, their uh, nature itself is tied to man, because like at the flood, nature was saved along with man, the animals, and uh, all nature groans awaiting the redemption of man. And uh, I believe that in the same and similar manner, although man man could be extinguished from the earth at this particular time. Uh, Theologically, biblically speaking, we're tied to nature, and I believe that in some respect, nature would cease. I'm, I'm a little stretched there, but I don't believe the next statement is any stretch, and that is that God is tied to the universe, and if God were to cease to exist, the universe would cease to exist. Oh, certainly. Uh, in Genesis 1, 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. So here's our... Here's our godlike characteristic of uh, being able to reproduce in our own image. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay? God has given humanity dominion. What does that mean? Does that mean that we are to lord our superiority over the animals and over the plants and and, uh, use them all, kill them all for our food and for our needs and for our homes? No, it means that we're responsible for nourishing them and caring for them. Oh, it means we're responsible for their well-being. Right. And, oh, interesting. So God has given humanity a, a responsibility for creating life and then using our energies to support that life. What does that sound like? That sounds like God himself, doesn't it? I think the Native Americans understood that well. They didn't destroy their environment. They managed it, and they let it live and used it for their sustenance, and it was there whenever they needed it. Okay. I've included the rest of Genesis 2 uh, in the notes. Uh, We're not going to go. I don't want to read all of it. Um, I do want to look at... Well, actually, let's move to Monday's lesson. Uh, hang on, back on Sunday's lesson, sorry. The, the, the last paragraph, taken from the Ministry of Healing, Creator chose for our first parents the surroundings best adapted for their health and happiness. He did not place them in a palace or surround them with artificial adornments and luxuries that so many are today struggling to obtain. He, she's basically bringing out the point that he... He put them in a garden, which was in their best interest, and he uh, intended them. F- he intended for them to 
use their skills and to mold and shape the foliage and the vines and the trees to make a to make a covering for themselves. Interesting. All right, Monday's lesson: sin and nature. So now we have uh, sin entering the picture. I'm going to read from Genesis three, three fourteen. This is where God has everyone lined up, and He's starting to He's handing out curses here. Okay, can you consider consider this for a minute. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, quote, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. All right, let's go back to the snake. Um, and in the following passage, is God, is God punishing humanity with these various curses? Or is he... Is he giving them a um, prophecy, foreknowledge of what will happen as a result of transgression, or is it something else? Oh, he gives them hope. He does give them hope in the coming Redeemer. That's right. Yes, Crystal? He's also allowing us to experience the reality of lawlessness, because when he, he says there, it's for their sake. And those thorns and thistles that they're experiencing, the things that are so icky about our lives on this earth because they're not orderly anymore. Those things teach us the horror of lawlessness. Good point. Uh, that's, that's one that I wanted to bring out, uh, so let's go ahead and, and examine that. It says to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife. Interesting that that uh, is put in there. Because I've, I've often thought, I've often wondered what would have happened if uh, Eve had brought Adam the fruit and said, here, I've eaten of it, you take of it. And he said, mm, no, God said we shouldn't do that. I'm not going to do it. What would have happened? He may have created another wife. Any thoughts? Before that, before he created another wife, what, what would have happened? I posed this question uh, in a class I taught three or four years ago, and one of my friends was sitting in here, and he said, and he will remain nameless, he said, Eve would have stamped her foot and threw a fit and said, you should support me no matter what. (laughs) (laughs) And half the class laughed, and the other half nodded in in kind of a sober um, understanding agreement (laughs) that that's what would have happened. Um, Any thoughts? Anybody ever process that? Well, I think if you look at... Biblically down, Adam was the one that was officially charged with eating the apple because God directly told him that he's, well, not the apple of that fruit, that you shouldn't eat of that fruit. And even in the New Testament, when they talk about sin, it was Adam who, who is charged, who's the official person who contributed to that disobedience of God. And 
He's responsible for the downfall of man. And what's the fundamental difference between what e- what happened with Eve and what happened with Adam? Eve believed Adam willfully. Eve believed a lie. Eve believed the lie that the serpent told her. And and in the New Testament it says this that uh, I, I don't know if it's Peter or Paul it says Eve was deceived. Yes. And that was going to be what I said when you said, "What if Adam would have stood his ground?" Is since she was deceived, perhaps she would have reconsidered her position. Because I don't know that she was in a position of actually believing what was going on. Perhaps she was coming to him maybe to, what do you think? For validation yeah. or something like that? I, I heard a Interesting young girl one time when she was asked what they should have done. She said, Adam should have said, I think we need to go talk to God. Mm. <laughs> I, think, I think Adam definitely exercised his um, ability to choose. Sure. I'm not sure he initially chose. She but he chose, he knew, he kind of understood the consequences. He, and he, he made that volitional choice to, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sin because I would rather be with Eve. Mm. It's a good thing that men have grown out of that, isn't it? That we, we no longer have uh, <coughs> sold our souls. Um, back to the, uh, let's look at verse 16 where the Lord's speaking to the woman. I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. You guys ever ponder that, that woman's conception would be multiplied? And this, this is based on the version that I have, which is the New King James Version, I believe uh, I copied this from. I will multiply your sorrow and your conception. You thought it's possible that uh, because of sin there are a lot more people on the earth now? This is just, this is just something that I I had never noticed this until yesterday when I was uh, finishing putting some finishing touches on these notes. New King James Version. I will multiply your conception. I will multiply. I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. Someone read another version. I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Pains and childbearing, or pains in childbearing? In childbearing. Okay. This is the, the clear word says, in turning back to the woman, God said, as a result of your disobedience, you will not have children without pain. You will desire a partnership with your husband, but he will be the head of the family. Any other versions? English Standard says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, in pain you shall bring forth children. I would think, if anything, our reproductive systems would have been perfect, and so maybe we would have had a lot more. <laughs> well, well, but it's an interesting concept because, you know, the original, you know, intention of God is to have one mate, perhaps one child, uh, to pour all of your love into. I'm, I'm just a concept. I'm not saying it's a fact. I'm just saying it's an interesting concept to contemplate. We have to populate Let's see. The, the the King James Version, unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. So, food for thought. Uh, I don't have any... As we stated, some of the other was perhaps <laughs> prophetic and just saying, you know, this is the result of sin. Mm-hmm. That was just saying the result of sin, too, and uh, knowing that sexual relationships would take a turn for the worse, not be used appropriately anymore, and therefore lend to I think that's a great point. Children, then 
would otherwise. Maybe it's more like this where they can just go, oh man, I'm pregnant again. <laughs> yes. The other evening, I, I happened to see a special on venomous uh, creatures, mm-hmm. particularly snakes, having to do with the development of uh, medicines, vaccines, anti, anti-venoms and that sort of thing. Fascinating show. And they said that in Vietnam, there are 200 varieties of snakes, and 50 of them are poisonous. And the, the thing that makes venom poisonous is, is a rearrangement of the DNA, with the, which is protein. Mm-hmm. It's essentially a protein. So that, I just found that fascinating, you know, that, that just a change of a few letters of DNA would cause something to become that poisonous. Interesting. Let's look further. Um, In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Um, Is this a curse or is this a blessing for humanity? Is Is this something that God punished humanity with, punished woman with, or is this uh, something else? Certainly mankind, well, man, male uh, mankind, has has used and misused this text as a way of uh, trying to exert a dominance over our better half. You got a comment? Yeah, I think that when she, he talked about sorrow, I don't think he necessarily meant it just limited to Eve. I think he meant it for womankind. And I say that because when you look at our society, God created man and woman to have dominion over the world together. Mm-hmm. They were equal partners side by side. Um, now, when you look at the world and, and the societies of the world, men are misusing their dominion that God gave them. Even in our society, the biases that exist between men and women, and I think that's the repercussions of that curse. Okay. Um, your desire shall be for your husband. Um, I have come to understand that this is actually something that God did to intervene right there in the garden. He, he began the intervention uh, to hold in check the consequences of sin. Okay. If you've been on this earth long enough, or certainly as long as I have, you you come to an understanding that women are generally more, value relationships more, not only with other women, but with uh, their significant other. Women value these relationships more, and women work harder at maintaining the relationship. Okay? This This is something that I believe that God intervened in woman's head and heart, and there in the garden, to to keep intact this this um, man and woman relationship that he'd originally intended. If he hadn't intervened, men would have probably killed one another and there'd be nothing but women left Amen. on the earth. Back to the childbearing thing, they lived, even back then, a thousand, nine hundred thousand years. How many children can you actually produce in that length of time? You know, comparatively to our childbearing years, which are shrunk to generally 15 to 20 years at most. Uh, excellent question. 
They could have filled the earth up pretty rapidly. And I think they did. Yes, Tina? In verse 20, and Adam called his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all human life. You mean it took till after sin for him to call his wife Eve? Or is that just... I don't know if it's chronologically the way it's written in there or not. I've wondered about that too. Yeah, yeah comment. Well, somewhere in Patriarchs and Prophets, it said that women had 400 childbearing years, and God said, "Be fruitful and multiply." Uh, that was before the before the flood. Mm-hmm. That's a long. That you can have a lot of children in 400 years. Indeed. <laughs> It's hard to it's hard to kind of get your mind around living that long, isn't it? I mean, Adam lived what nine hundred fifty years, give or take. It's not an infinite number of eggs that the ovaries will produce. That's right. It's a finite number. It's a lot more than what we use now, though. Many, oh, yeah. many more than what we use now. Making noise. Okay. Um, Tuesday's lesson, God's gift through nature. Uh, the first paragraph, it asks us to look at Romans 1, 19-25. This, for our class, is a very, very familiar passage, or should be. Um, this is where Paul is talking about God's, righteous, God's wrath on unrighteousness and, and why God's wrath is being displayed. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify God, nor were they thankful. They became futile in their thoughts, and foolish heart, their foolish hearts were darkened, etc., etc. Have you guys ever heard of nature being referred to as God's second book? I want to suggest it was his first. Okay? Nature, would, nature came along long before the Scriptures did, long before the Old Testament did. And... All the Old Testament writers observed nature, observed the world they were around, and drew conclusions, and they saw a loving God in nature. Paul himself here says that everything that can be known about God can be observed through what has been made, through creation. I want to suggest nature is his first book, and no less important, or no more important, than his word that we've been given. It, everything reveals a loving creator. We go back to that first Ellen White quote from Patriarchs and Prophets. Every manifestation of creative power is expression of infinite love. Dean? When we talk about nature in today's world, we also equate that with science. Mm-hmm. I mean, science and nature go hand in hand. Right. On the other hand, everything that is bad can be shown by nature. It's just talking about these toxins that are produced by snakes, and a snake bites you, you're in deep trouble right away. And and is that a revelation of God, or is that a revelation of sin? Good question. 
Let's, uh, there's certainly a group, and, and, and as, as I was studying for this lesson, the, the one central question that kept running through my mind is, well, yeah, this is all well and good for, for someone who has been raised a uh, creationist and who believes in a uh, benevolent and giving and loving God. But there, there are a lot more people that believe we were, that we uh, humanity was derived from an amphibian somewhere. How? And they believe that the Bible is just an interesting piece of literature, maybe an allegory to, to teach us a better way to live. They, they don't believe it's the word of a, uh, a loving, uh, benevolent creator. What, what, do we, what do we have as tools to, con- to convince them otherwise or to make an effective argument that we were created in God's image and the earth declares his glory and the heavens show his handiwork. I was just going to read a quotation from the book Education, where once was written only the character of God, the knowledge of good, was now written also the character of Satan, the knowledge of evil. From nature which now revealed the knowledge of good and evil, man was continually to receive warning of the results of sin. Okay, excellent. Did he, create, did he create animals? Some animals are herbivorous, some are omnivorous, some are carnivorous. Or did the ones who are carnivorous, did they sort of have to change to become carnivorous? Or did the herbivorous always, be, like the elephants, have always been... Good question. Let me answer that. This is from Second Selective Messages, page 288. Christ never planted the seeds of death in the system. Satan planted these seeds when he tempted Adam to eat of the tree of the knowledge, which meant disobedience to God. Not one noxious plant was placed in the Lord's great garden, but after Adam and Eve sinned, poisonous herbs sprang up. In the parable of the sower, the question was asked, Didst thou not, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence hath then has it tares? The master answered, An enemy hath done this. Referencing Matthew thirteen twenty seven and 28. All tares are sown by the evil one. Every noxious herb is of his sowing, and by his ingenious methods of amalgamation, he has corrupted the, has corrupted the earth with tares. So, death was not part of the original plan. So, I think we can safely conclude that every animal on the planet, before sin into the earth, was vegetarian. But only certain ones changed. That's right. And why, I don't know. It would be awful if they all changed and all of them were planted. Yes, it would. <laughs> yes, it would. Tim. Uh, I think it's pretty fascinating that, uh, to me, you know, I look at nature in its current state. You, can, you know, Paul talks a lot about the law of life and the law of death. And, uh, you know, the law of life, as we understand it to be in Christ, is the law of giving. And the law of death, as we understand it to be in Satan, is the law of taking. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see these two laws kind of wore it out in nature uh, quite clearly. And so um, I think that speaks a lot in itself. I mean, that's a very fundamental, elementary understanding of what the war that's going on between Christ and Satan, and it's very visible right in front of our eyes in nature. I think that's an excellent point. I was just going to say we can definitely see a change took place, though, because... Even man switched from being herbivores to being 
Carnivores. <laughs> or omnivores or yeah. all of all of the above <laughs> or Yes. I I agree with the pursuit of, of this, you know, uh, question obviously, but uh, I want to suggest that there there may be something else involved too in that uh, you know the text says that by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all that in them is, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have a written scripture because we no longer have that, that patriarchal uh, con- continuation of the word as given from God to Adam and Adam to all his progeny, you know, all his children. Uh, so I want to suggest that it's possible that in a very, very... Uh, intellectual sort of sort of way, you know, it's possible that nature is still the second book. You know what I mean? In other words, the first book being God's Word, number one. Okay. And then, of course, that being uh, interpreted <laughs> as the Word as it comes down through humanity, first by, by uh, just sharing it, you know, Thank you for clearing that up. Or I, I don't want to be misunderstood that I'm prioritizing them no, no, as first no, and second. Uh, I'm I'm considering um, as humanity understands it uh, in, in a chronological uh, way. Um, certainly, the uh, the laws of God and the laws as we understand the laws, the laws of love, laws of liberty, giving, physical laws, health laws, laws of worship. Those have existed from time immemorial. Always have, always will. Um, and, and certainly the, the book of nature was written in harmony with those laws. And mankind and uh, you know, all, all, of, all of the created, everything in creation was made to work in harmony with those laws. And the only reason the earth is in the state it's in is because we are, we are the only planet that we know of and... I believe the only planet in the universe that is operating out of harmony with that with those laws. It's interesting that people have taken both books and totally misinterpreted them. Right. Some of the worst wars in history have been over the words in the Bible, and we have now created a whole bunch of essentially atheists through the uh, scientific doctrines that are put forth today as fact, which in fact are theory of evolution and so on. And so they've taken each book and totally misdirected people's thoughts with either one of them. That's right. And at, at, the, at the foundation of that, what's at the foundation of that misdirection with both books? Well, Satan, not wanting to give credit to God, wanting us to portray, wants us to either not acknowledge God at all or wants us to see God as he does. Is Satan having mis- being, having misrepresented the character of God in humanity and ob- well nigh ob- obliterating God's uh, God's ca- uh, face and God's character in humanity and replacing it with his own? Uh, Wednesday's lesson. Uh, was there another hand? Yes. Well, I said it perfectly with what she said. Because although they do God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. But because they came... Frugal in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were dark and professed to be wise, they became fools. So that's where man went with Satan behind them. Okay. 
Uh, let's wrap things up here uh, talking about communing with God in nature. Consider the lilies of the field, how they are grown. They do not toil, neither do they spin. This is Matthew 6.28. What can be gained from t- going and finding a quiet place in, uh, in a meadow somewhere, or in the middle of the forest somewhere, and just unplugging and, and communing with God? Is it any different than doing it in your bedroom? Yes. How? Surrounded by God's creation and his, everything you made. It's different with different people. It's different for different people? Yeah. Okay. Some, people, you know, some of us grew up in the city and we just, that's how we learned to know God. Okay, well, that's fair. We don't like all the bugs that Satan created. <laughs> <laughs> this, um, yeah, this is basically you know, telling us that we can, you know, we can gain, um, you know, Christ is telling us uh, in Matthew six uh, twenty five. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? And he goes on to um, elaborate. Uh, Anyone in here know someone that spends a lot of time worrying? Or might, might you be someone who spends a lot of time worrying? What's God trying to tell us here? We should spend more time with him. <laughs> that if that if uh, the lilies of the field uh, are more more magnificent and, and and dressed in more splendor than all of Solomon and, and all of his array, uh, and, and God cares for the lilies of the field and the birds in the air, how much more is He going to care for beings created in His image? The Bible says, "Worry for nothing." Yeah, I, I, I love this. I love this um, question here. How, which of you, by worrying, can add another cubit to his height? You know, <laughs> no, I'm not any taller. And worse than that, worrying actually destroys your system. It does nothing to, in, in, to solve the problem. It Sir, doesn't do anything to prevent the problem, nor does it do anything for, to. Um, help you cope with the problem should it really happen. But all it does is essentially tear down every cell of your body and make you more vulnerable to uh, sickness and, and death. One last comment, and then we're going to have to wrap up in the back. I was just going to move back to uh, communing with nature for a moment, and that is uh, I've never been, well, nature is always surprising. Nature always reveals something that I didn't expect. If I'm in my bedroom or my kitchen and I'm doing my devotions there, I pretty much can expect whatever's happening there to happen. But when I'm out in nature, all of a sudden I see something new that I had never seen before. I've been in nature a lot. I used to work as a land surveyor. And I was out there daily in nature, and still I was always seeing something new. Not something from the nature channel. They never revealed such things. In fact, I saw things that I thought should be on the Nature Channel. Mm -hmm. But what I'm getting at is that God shows in that that He's way bigger 
than my wildest imagination. I couldn't even imagine some of these things that I saw and hear and experience. God is there showing us stuff that we would never get in our bedroom. Even the bugs are showing stuff. Right. I, I agree. I know it's well said. Uh, let's wrap up with prayer. Hey, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for being a God big enough and powerful enough to speak this world into existence and yet loving enough to kneel down in the earth and form man uh, out of the dust of the earth and breathe the breath of life into him. Please continue uh, to reveal to us uh, more light, more truth, better understanding of your character and your nature and guide us as we continue to reveal that light to uh, those who are living in darkness on this earth so we may hasten your return. In Jesus' name, amen.